0: Good morning. Wonderful to be with you. I think um, a missions conference when the M word is introduced, the saints flee. And the fact that you are here today excites me. I have uh, appreciated the fact over the years that moms and dads try to keep sons and daughters away from the M word. Do you know what happens when the M word comes to church? There's always this danger. Ever so slight, admittedly. Hold on, brother. Coffee is crucial to the kingdom of God. Can I hear an amen? I think Starbucks was distinctively designed for gospel advance. Do you know how many folks have been led to Christ at Star? Anyway. So, here you have this word called M, and you as God's people bring yourself together on a week like this, thinking about mission, and my particular task for the front end of this wonderful week is dealing with the glory of God in the advance of the gospel. So, in a few moments in our worship service, I'm going to introduce to you The passion of God. Have you ever thought what gets God excited? We're going to be taking a look at that over against the backdrop of the problems we as human beings have with God. So we'll put some fairly honest things on the table and we'll take a look at it together. That's always exciting. But thinking now about the M word. Here you are coming together as God's people and the M word is introduced. What is the danger for a family when the M word is introduced. The danger is your son, your daughter may get called by God to the nations. And now all of a sudden you've got to release yourself, your son, your daughter. And God's going to assign them to a place like Cairo. Kabul. Iraq. Mexico City. Here is my most recent thought. Flying down here, there was this news release... To all of America's students who have this kind of rite of passage in March, what happens in March for university students? They all go south for spring break. And our government was telling them, do not drive over over the Mexican border to a resort area in Mexico because the cartels are causing such... Chaos at the borders, it's dangerous. You know what my first thought was? You know, God, this sounds like you need to plant some sons and daughters who are willing to risk to reach a movement that is causing chaos For an entire continent. So you and I are first thinking safety, aren't we? Okay, make sure my kids, if they're going down to Mexico, fly. Don't drive, right? How about the servant of God? How about the child of God? How about the son of God, the daughter of God? Listening in on that, you and I would probably begin to think a little differently, wouldn't we? We would begin to ask the question, God, you care for them. God, you love them. God, Jesus, has compassion for the most wicked of people in the cartels. you know what's happening recently in the cartels? They are beginning to partner with a movement called the Taliban. Anybody know who the Taliban are? They're wonderful fellows with beards and turbans who feel a calling of God through jihad, to bring Allah to bear upon the cultures of the world, especially the great Satan. Who is the great Satan? The United States of America. Isn't that fascinating? So here we are in a week like this, and I just love the fact that you come together in in just such an event like this, where you're giving consideration You're committed as a family to say, this week, this week we carve out our schedule. This week is so crucial in our yearly calendar that we want to give attention to the heart of God, to the passion of God, if you will, to the glory of God. Now, I commend you for that. Now, can I encourage you, and then I'll introduce myself. Can I encourage you to do one thing if you haven't done this yet? And I'll make comment on this in the next hour, too. Could you make sure that in your calendar, this week is so important that you're carving out time to make sure you're here and you listen carefully to what God is saying to you as a movement. Do not treat this as another Sunday service. And I'll see you next week. But as a family, as an individual, as a follower of King Jesus, you engage the Spirit of God. And you ask the Spirit of God, Spirit of God, what do you want to say to us this week? And for our part, for my wife Sterling and me, and getting to know some of your missionaries now, It is a thrill for us to come and to join in to a local group of believers and listen together. That's really a beautiful week for us. It's an opportunity for us to listen together with you as to what the Spirit of God is saying to you. And that's wonderful. Romans chapter 15 verse 20 has been kind of a key anchor For the movement of God in the world. Because it's autobiographical by a guy named the Apostle Paul. Have you ever heard of that guy? Pretty cool guy. In the coming kingdom, you're going to want to spend some time with him. He wrote some of the New Testament. He had some keen insights into the mystery of God. And here's what he said. He broke out of his Jewish culture. He understood That God was not going to demand that the entire world look Jewish to get saved. You know, that was a radical idea in his day. That was seriously radical. That was radical, radical. No, that was radical times radical times radical means his body is going to get brutalized in order to advance the gospel. So it was pretty radical, wasn't it? And here's his concluding thought. Listen. Listen. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has yet been heard, so that I do not build upon another man's foundation. And I think that's the point. That's the point in gospel advance. That's the point of mission. That, that the people of God assemble themselves together. You're listening to the Spirit of God, and you're burdened. You're burdened about the borders between Mexico and America. Why? Not for the safety of your kids so that they can go in their debauchery. No, it's because it's a kingdom issue. You don't come together this week to think about the comforts of the coming kingdom. No, you come to say, how do we advance that kingdom, even if it means suffering? So that King Jesus gets his flag planted amongst the peoples of the world. So that you are concerned. So that when you watch the Taliban. So that when you when you look into the world of, of the major metro cities of the world that that are that are disintegrating. Fifty five thousand homicides last year in Rio de Janeiro. Fifty five thousand. So what do you and I say to that? Stay away from Rio. Right? We say, the kingdom of God. No, King Jesus. Their their entire culture is in disarray. Human flourishing ceases to exist. Somebody's got to go in there and plant the flag. You see the difference? And so this week's good. This week's important. Where we come together as God's people to begin to think about... This, this, this God that we serve, and you are thinking afresh as an assembly of believers for the glory of God. Hi, my name is Jim, and I'm a recovering sinner. I came to faith as a university student. I was minding my own business, not, in, not far from a place called Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And as a university student, a book was making the rounds in the mid-70s called The Late Great Planet Earth. And it was a book on Bible prophecy. And I read it through the first time, and I was shocked. And I was reading it through the second time. A couple of things were taking place in my life. Number one, because I had been taught evolution, I I felt that the early books of Genesis, the early chapters of Genesis, and God himself was irrelevant. And that there was no issue of sin, and Jesus didn't need to come and die for us. So, for my teenage years, once I was taught evolution, I thought, well, there's no God. Second, if there was a God, He's pretty irrelevant to life. And I'm reading this book and I'm shocked. First, the thought that there actually might be a God. That that was news to me. And number two, He might actually be relevant to life. I was shocked. I'm reading this thing through. Now, I'm embarrassed. Okay, I don't know. Have you ever experienced this? I'm embarrassed. I'm reading through this thing. And in this book, there's this secret language. There are secret codes in this book called the Lake Ray Planner. I didn't know what to do with them because, remember, I'm illiterate as it relates to anything with God, right? And in this book, he gets to, he gets to uh, an idea, and, and then he goes into this secret coded language, 1Core2.10, dot dot 10. rom 10 dot dot ROM10.13. I didn't know what this coded language was. I didn't know it was Romans chapter 10. I didn't know it was 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I I didn't know this code. And I was trying to break the code, and I came to faith. At the end of chapter 8, second time through in 1976. And then God begins to call me to the nations. And I stopped this accounting degree going absolutely nowhere. Do you know how difficult it is, Richard, to study accounting when you're stoned every day? It is pretty tough. And now all of a sudden, I find this new life in Christ, and all of a sudden, words become important to me. Ideas, reading, engaging people in conversation about the one who had just transformed my life. I'm literally sitting at the bars with all my buds, and I'm telling them, 1-Core-2-dot-dot-ten, ROM-10-dot-dot-thirteen. And I just started to tell the story of this transformation taking place in my life. Welling up in my heart immediately was this desire to pastor. Now, all the guys I did drugs with, go figure, right? Right in the middle of reading the late grade planet Earth, David, this pastor comes into my city from a a rural community through a friend of a friend, and he started doing Bible studies, unbeknownst to me, with all the guys I did drugs with. And their second weekend and their third week, they said, Jim, we're studying the Bible, and you need to come. And I was offended. How did you guys find a Bible study? And I'm not invited. Third week, I'm in there, and I'm watching this pastor teach from 1 John 5. And he says, Jim, would you, would you like a Bible? Yeah. He says, we're in 1 John 5. I didn't even know there was a John outside of commodes. And he says, may I show you? And I was too embarrassed. I says, no, I'll find it. That night, I never found 1 John <laughs> Terrible, isn't it? A human the human's pride. And I watched this man take the word of God with humility and grace and graciousness, but something my priests in my religious system had never done. He taught with authority. And I'm shocked. And I'm sitting there, I'm quiet. And the next week, we're all back together again. And my buds, you know, they were rolling cigarettes that that next night. And this poor pastor, he didn't know if that was marijuana or what. And his eyes are bulging as my buds are are rolling their cigarettes ready to smoke and all. And this poor pastor thinks the cops are going to come in and take them away. I was going to say, well, we we got the marijuana from him. I wouldn't do that to the pastor. And here these guys are, and they're rolling them up. and, And in between those two weeks is when I had come to faith in Christ. I'd been saved, although I didn't understand much of what, what had just transpired. I'm reading the late great planet Earth at the end of chapter 8. Next week we're in the study together. And pastor opens up the word of God with us. We're still in First John chapter 5. And, and these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. And I'm shocked. This was new news to me. From a, from a religious background, a religious pagan background. Just that idea alone that you may know. It almost bordered on arrogance for my religious background. But this pastor, almost with tears and deep humility, he shares this. And we're all shocked. So the Bible study's over. All my buds go home. Pastor sits there with me. And for the next couple of hours, he just graciously responds. I'm so angry. Why hadn't I heard this before? Why hadn't I heard this from my religious tradition? You know, all those sorts of things that a baby Christian might ask. I was asking them all. And we probably stayed up, I don't know, 1, 2, 3 a.m. Who was counting, right? Host family, they just went to bed. And when it was over, the pastor looks at me and he says, Jim, it sounds to me like you got saved. I'd never heard that word before outside of banking. You know, that's what I went to the bank to do. I saved money at the bank. Saved. It was sweet to my ears. Hey, you ever been there? Can you go back to the first days of your faith when the words you were learning were sweet to your soul? Remember those early days? And I, is that what happened to me? He said, Jim, it sounds like it. Tell me about it. I began to tell him about chapter 8 and all this secret coded language. And he just reaffirms the study of the, of the salvation by faith. Walk me through Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, and I came to faith immediately stopped this accounting degree, and I wind up at uh liberty university this this emerging school in a place called Lynchburg, Virginia. Now, I'm from Philadelphia, and anytime you're going to a city with the word lynch" in it, you ought to be a little bit careful, so we were going down. I'd never been there before I didn't know what a lynch was other than the noose. Get down to Lynchburg and find there's this really cool small school passionate for Jesus Christ, training men and women. And what was it, David? By our my second semester there, uh, I'm in the Christian Service office working, and and this guy from the Bahamas shows up, and he he's he's plugging in the Christian Service. But you know, I was at that time I was probably about 21, but he was an old guy. You know, David was at least uh, 30. Yeah, he was 38 at the time, but I was probably calculating 35. And I was just thinking, you know, you don't look like you're 18. Do you belong here? And sure enough, he was there, and and we had a chance to get to know one another. And and then his beautiful family. And then God uh, introduced me to a beautiful woman. Uh, I would just say, I grew up in the north in the United States. Did you know that there's somewhat of a cultural difference between the people in the north of the U.S. and the south? Are you aware of that? In the U.S., it's the, there, was a, there was a war there. If you're from the north, it was the Civil War. If you're from the south, it was the War of the States. And anyway, I met this beautiful woman, but she was a southern girl. But she was really beautiful. And as a bonus, she was really pretty. <laughs> and as a double bonus, she really loved the Lord. So, my wife Sterling... I was introduced to her through her brother Lee, who he and I had become very close in our first days at this school called Liberty University, and we were preparing ourselves for ministry. And so uh, in 1980, God led us into the bliss of holy matrimony. And so we've been married since 1980, 31 years later, four kids later, two of them married, no grandkids, still waiting, and all of the kids in the process. Now, by God's grace... We're down to one teenager. Can I hear an amen? How about a hallelujah? You ever been there where teenagers somewhere around age 14, it dawns on them that mom and dad are just absolutely dumb, and they don't come out of that till about age 21, and when it dawns on them, you aren't as dumb as I thought? You know, did you ever notice that with teenagers? It's just an amazing experience. You know, I, I, my, how my parents put up with me. The fact that they didn't kill me is just an amazing experience demonstration of the grace of God with parents. You ever been there? Moms and dads, you ever have teenagers? All right, now shoot straight with me just with a smile saying, you ever want to kill them? you glad you didn't? Uh, this guy, Tony Campalo, says, grandkids are the gift God gives to parents for not killing their kids when they were teenagers. <laughs> Can you appreciate that? <laughs> and, and so anyway, we're, we're down to, to one teenager in the home. Uh, Tiffany, she graduates this May. So in 1982, I thought maybe we would plan a church. Dr. Falwell was really emphasizing the great cities of America in need of the gospel. And, and I was thinking at that time that maybe we would go to, to maybe Philadelphia or New York City with the gospel. I did a short-term trip out to Asia one time with a friend. And we were in the island of the, of the Philippines. And there, God exposed to, to me you know, when you read something like, for God so loved the world, <clears throat> you tend to read it from your cultural context, don't we? I mean, this is natural, right? So when I read, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, you know how I looked at that world? I looked at that world through my lens of my world. That world meant Philadelphia. That world meant Virginia. That world meant South Carolina. You know, when I went out to Asia, you, you can't fly into Tokyo and not say, Wow, what's Tokyo today? Is it 25 million? I bet they're up to 30 million, and they stop counting, don't they? You get down to Manila, and you get into Manila, and it's 20 million. And, and it, it, all of a sudden, this world takes on new dimensions, doesn't it? <laughs> For God so loved that world. And then God begins to deal with the heart of a son or a daughter. In our particular case, Sterling and I just began to ask God, do you want us out in Asia? I was, thinking, I was thinking Philly. I was thinking New York. New York, you realize? New York City in my country? New York has 15 million wonderful pagans. And they need the gospel. But what was interesting was God began to deal with our hearts. And God would say to me, Jim, I know New York has 15 million pagans. I care for them. But I want you in Asia. See, that was the hard part for us. I began to fear the thought of leaving my culture now. And God assigns us to Asia. And lo and behold, for one month of study together, Sterling was in Joshua chapter 1 and I was in John chapter 15. And for a month we were just plowing it out. God, what do you want us to do and and that experience, God speaking to her heart in Joshua 1, God speaking to me out of John 15, he said in our hearts, I know New York City needs my son. I know that, Jim. Trust me. I want you in Asia. So in May of 1982, we found ourselves on a plane going to a land whose language, whose culture, whose people we Uh, Hadn't known, we didn't grow up with, we didn't know their diet and their food and their climate, their culture, their religious orientation, the issues, the needs, the burdens that are on their hearts through which the gospel would be designed to meet. And that was an amazing experience for us. And for the next 13 years we were involved in bringing the gospel to the people. Now I will say this much, for the first three years I was really butting heads with that culture. See, they weren't cooperating with me. One of the things God exposed to my heart, and for those of you who have been missionaries, have you found this to be true? When I went to Asia as a missionary, the first thing God had to do was not work on the culture, but work on me. I had a problem that's, I think, symptomatic of missionaries. At least this one. I had a messianic complex. I thought I was the great white hope. And they weren't cooperating with me. And God had to break my heart of my own pride. You see, how they operated as a culture was different than ours. Our culture in America... They, we in America, we value frankness. <laughs> we, we value shooting straight. We value, in our leadership styles... Taking control. You know what the Filipino values primarily as a leadership trait? They value, first and foremost, can you get along well with people. They communicate issues indirectly. And then I had to learn that some of their traits are more biblical in their unredeemed state, than our traits in North America. That was a revelation to me. And God humbled me at the feet of that culture. And get this. This is something I'd never learned in anybody's book. God discipled me through an unredeemed culture, yet still made in the image of God And he drew me more intimately to Jesus Christ. That's probably one of the most glorious blessings I had out of my missionary career. Was that God would disciple me if I had ears to hear and a heart to receive. They were a precious people. Do you know they did community, koinonia? Do you ever hear that word, koinonia? Do you ever hear that word? You know, they did better koinonia in an unredeemed state and behold than my American culture did intentionally as a follower of Jesus. And I'd look in on their culture of koinonia, and I would value it. And I would say, Lord, this is is beautiful. We don't even do this in our redeemed state. And I think I had something to learn, didn't I? Do you realize right after that three-year mark, when I was broken on my knees before God, saying, God, I can't get this. You realize right at that very moment is when the doors began to open up and the gospel exploded through us to the island of a hole. Isn't that just like God? He's got to break us down to a place of just profound humility, to a place you'd never think you'd get to, to a place that it really, really hurts. You ever been there? And then from the depths of that pain, God begins to rebuild us. And grace and mercy flow fluidly through our lives in our brokenness. Three churches get planted in our particular time there. Our colleagues, we were doing a, <clears throat> a strategy of church planning throughout the island that God had assigned to us. 1.5 million Boholanos on the island of Bohol. The most uh, devout Mary devotees that I'd ever met. And it's amazing, with us and with other colleagues, today, that was 1982, today... Over 7% of the island is now in the faith, and the gospel has exploded. It's an amazing thing to watch. And when I go back, I was there a couple of years ago for a conference, and I was on a slate of Boholano pastors speaking for that day, and I was just humbled as I heard Boholano pastor after Boholano pastor after Boholano pastor handle the Word of God with great power and great grace. And I'm just thinking, God, we're done. This is beautiful. And now Behol is poised to send her sons and daughters to Indonesia. Isn't that cool? That is just like God, where now the gospel starts to go full circle. It comes in, it gets planted in her midst. Her sons and daughters are being discipled in this gospel. Now they're looking to take that message to the nations themselves. That is the way of God. The beautiful place. And then God assigns my wife and me to a, a place called Liberty University. In 1995, to train up men and women uh, for ministry. It was a beautiful time where we had the privilege to take a look at a lot of really cool students and begin to invest some time in them, to encourage them, and some of the things that God had discipled into our hearts, He had equipped us with. And out of that was birthed a a beautiful movement of, of men and women taking the gospel to the nations. And then in the year 2000, as God would have it, He assigned Sterling and me to lead the mission we served under out in Asia. We have about 450 missionaries with CrossWorld. And for that next season of life, I just began the process of encouraging God's people to consider the call of God to serve His name amongst the peoples of the world. In the middle of that experience, Sterling and I began what what we then called the Center for Global Mission. What I began to realize was there are a lot of young men and women who are in ministry, serving in God's global harvest today, but they're in need of mentoring. We have really noticed there's a lot of younger leaders who find themselves in mission, but they could really use some help. So we founded, through the center, an Emerging Leaders Conference. We'll host it again this June. I think it's the most significant work that God has called us to in these days, where we bring in from around the world 50 young leaders. This time we have 20 organizations joining us. We did it, in last year we did it with uh, about 11 organizations. This time it's 20. It'll wind up being about 60 young leaders. I try to cap it off at 50. Then we bring in 10 global leaders from around the world who have given 30, 40, and 50 years to God's great harvest in advance. And we bring them in, and we have them mentor these young leaders as God begins to raise them up. Now, the cool thing about this is I've got all these donors who really love this idea, who invest in this kind of a strategy because it, it transcends any given organization we bring a lot of organizations together, and all of these young men and women, for the week, we put them in one room for one week, and they spend time together with these global leaders. And it is, it is even a beautiful thing to see majority world young leaders. We've got young leaders coming from Cambodia, from India, from Egypt, from Europe, and they're going to be coming together with their North American counterparts, and they're going to be sitting in a room, being discipled by great global leaders, to prepare them for a greater measure of effectivity for the work of God in the coming days. That for us, as, as our work with the Center for Global Mission, I think is probably going to be the most important work in the coming days, just to take a movement of young men and women and just encourage them on the journey. The genesis of it came this. Here I am. I'm 42, year 2000, and I'm invited by CrossWorld to lead an organization that's been around for 70 years. And they need a lot of organizational change. You ever been there? Where you find yourself overseeing an organization that needs a lot of change? And I'm thinking, how in the world do I bring organizational change to a great mission agency whose model and understanding of the task is 1970, not the year 2000? And I realize there's probably a lot of younger leaders who could benefit from some older great veterans who've been there, done that. Yeah. You ever appreciate that great need to pour into these younger ones? So that's, that's what God has Sterling and Jim for, for these coming days, is to continue to work with young leaders, to train them up for God's great work. This week, here's the question I want to ask you to ask God. Father... What are you saying to me about your glory and the unreached? God, what are you saying to me about your glory and those who have never heard? Father, what are you saying to my family about your glory? And the need for the gospel there. Father, what are you saying to me about your glory and the unreached? That's the question this week I want you to ask. This isn't just about us telling you good stories. This is about us as a community of believers coming together and asking the question, Father, what are you saying to us as your movement right here in this beautiful part of the world? But from here, could this be a lighthouse for the next season, for the next decade? Could this be a passionate boiling point, a great commission center? Could it come from here? Because we met here this week, and we honestly engaged that question Father, what are you saying to me about your glory and those who have never heard? Now, just to make sure you're asking it, God has given you lips. Can I hear an amen? And here's what I want you to say, verbally out loud with me. I want you to say out loud with me, Father, what are you saying to me? about your glory and those who have never heard. Speak, Father. I will listen. I will obey. I don't believe you. I will obey. I doubt you. I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to look him right in the eye and say, I will obey. Look them right in the eye. Come on, look them right in the eye. If they need a shot of mouthwash, I'll give it to them. I will. Isn't that, in the, in the final analysis, isn't that what it is, being hearers of the Word? Only, no, but being doers of the Word. You know, after being with you just for these 30 minutes, you know what strikes me about you? You folk really need prayer. May, may I pray for you? May I pray for us? May I pray for this week? I'm so excited to be with you. Sterling and I, I have, I have 500 prayer partners that Sterling and I engage. You know, they are praying for you this week. You're in trouble. I pray that this week God explodes upon us in ways that we never even thought. But because we're engaging this great glorious God, and we're asking God, what are you saying to us about those who have never heard? Could God do something special in our midst? And we'll be glad that this week came. And and by the end of the week, it'll have gone. But we will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Let me pray for you. Man, let me pray for you. Father, these are your sons and daughters. And you have placed them here. They are on assignment by you to this beautiful piece of real estate in a beautiful part of our world. Not just to enjoy your comforts. Not just to bask in your blessings. But this is the place you've called them to make disciples. And then from here, Father, this could be, in the days to come, a vibrant Great Commission sending center. Because this week, Father, we we will have listened to your voice. So speak, Father. Speak in our midst. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive. And with our lips, God, we want to say sincerely we will obey. Do a great work this week, we pray, Father, as we engage your glory in the issues of the unfinished task and the challenges that await us in the great triumph of the gospel of Jesus. Father, thank you for these dear saints and our assembling together in this very comfortable place this morning. In the next hour in our worship together, meet with us powerfully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I will obey. Now get out of here.